If you're good at something, never do it for free. You're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. I bother you. <laughs> Welcome back. We are the Film Drifters. Our show provides film and TV reviews from four friends that make, watch, and love movies. Today, we will be reviewing the film's Licorice Pizza as well as Drive My Car. Uh, these were two of the Oscar-nominated movies. We are a little late to the game in terms of reviewing these, but we thought better late than never. We'd love to just tell you all what we thought about these two films. Joining me for this first part uh, is Will, longtime no see friend. Hey, I hope you guys remember me. It's me, Will. <laughs> Hi, I'm here. Are you sure you're here? Because I almost don't believe it, Will. You're actually here. <laughs> I'm actually here. It's been a crazy few weeks. I've been absent, but you know what? Myron's been taking the helm and we've got two awesome, you know, additions to our podcast. And I'm yep. just like so happy to know that we're able to have more voices to uh, do a lot of these reviews. So yeah, it's awesome. So good on you, man. Yeah. The last time we heard you heard from you, um, you were single and uh, you were <laughs> not yet officially fully moved into your place. So no, now I wanted to ask you, how does it feel to be a married man? Uh, let's see. Got married on Valentine's Day. It's been, it's going to be, uh, it's been over a month, you know, a little, going to be hitting two months in uh, 10 days. And I think so far it's been awesome. Super awesome. Uh, I wake up uh, most every mornings and make my lovely wife a cup of coffee because we got an awesome espresso machine and uh, I'm trying to perfect how to froth, you know, oat milk and almond milk. So that's been pretty cool. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> and, really uh, exciting. <laughs> it's so exciting no man i love making coffee in the morning actually you know it's just it's the best part of waking up right except it's not Folgers. Folgers. yeah it's better no, than it's, Folgers. it's better than Folgers for sure <laughs> but just enjoying every day with her and and um it's just like for her always like coming home and just happy to see me and when i come home from a long you know work trip i'm happy to see her and you know i really uh I just hope that it just doesn't end. So I love it. Okay. Yeah. How do you really feel though about being married? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. That was for later. We'll, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk after the after <laughs> I hit stop no. on the record. No, <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, it's great. It's yeah. it's really really great, cool. honestly. So well, welcome back to the show. And as always, we will get started with the rundown on the latest in entertainment news. All right, so I want to talk through a few items here uh, that really piqued my interest over the last week or so. First thing is the new Top Gun trailer is out. This is, I believe, trailer number three and the final trailer before the movie officially releases finally in May. Um, oh, this... trailer number three? It's not yes. trailer number 30 or something? Because they, yeah. <laughs> they should have been they should have came out like yeah. two years ago. Yeah, two yeah. years ago. Yeah, this movie has just been sitting there in the can for as long as I can remember. Um, and I was excited when I first saw uh, trailer number one, and they show a lot more of the film in this current uh, iteration. But I wanted to ask you, after watching the trailer, what do you think? Will you be watching this in theaters on Memorial Day weekend? I'll be honest. I have to rewatch the original Top Gun, and I know, like, is this a spinoff, though? Because I, I don't remember the original story. Like, No, it's a direct sequel. It's, it's yeah. a direct sequel, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I'm excited. Tom Cruise still looks... Like Young. Tom Cruise, uh, he just does not age somehow. You know? the, the funny thing is, I, you know, I love Val Kilmer. Is that picture of Iceman on the wall? Did you see that? Mm, it looked like mm. a, a painting from like the 14th century. 
<laughs> that was a little bit odd. But, is it uh, is it a yeah. bit gimmicky? You think was that a little gimmicky for you? No, it, it just looked weird. The the painting of him, yeah, mm-hmm. like a Renaissance painting of of Iceman <laughs> from 1980, whatever 1986. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm super excited for it. The uh, stunts look amazing. I don't know how they shot it. It doesn't look fake, but I can't imagine them pulling these these stunts off with real planes because it just seems like it would be too dangerous. There's that one scene where the two planes are flying side by side and then Maverick just cuts them off and the planes just like kind of veer off to the side to make room for him. I can't imagine them really doing that, but at the same time, it doesn't look fake. So it's a little... No, it doesn't. Yeah. And then when they're flying, you see like the the effects of the uh, the G's on their faces, which is kind of cool and something that we didn't see the first time around. So I'm really excited just to see how they made this damn movie. I heard they were attaching IMAX cameras to the planes. Oh so, my gosh! Uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see. And the director, um, he was actually one of the first directors ever to shoot a movie in 8K. So image quality and uh, resolution really matters to him. So just taking that and adopting that to what we're seeing, I think that can be a really intriguing mix. So I'm really excited to see it in the theater. I think with Tom Cruise and you and I both know he's all about the stunts. He's all about making it as real as possible. And even like, I mean, you would think that like with Mission Impossible, when he was stuck on the, um, the uh, cargo plane on the side, yeah. like you thought, oh yeah, that's that's totally CG. Yeah. And then you see the behind the scenes, you're like, okay, this mother trucker is just out of his mind, and he will yeah. do anything to get just the audience wowed. So I wouldn't be surprised if if these stunts were real, yeah. but obviously very well trained and very well blocked. So. Yeah, but I'm like thinking, did they let this guy fly a plane? There's no way they could let him fly well, a plane. No, but no, then I'm thinking, they're... it's Tom Cruise. Maybe they did let him fly fly the plane, so I'm actually very curious to see if he actually flew, flew the damn plane. Yeah, Maybe like with the close-up, like you, you, maybe the camera's behind you know, because you know, you know some planes have two uh, pilots. <laughs> Maybe he was on the second cockpit and the original Maybe. pilot was in the front doing all the stunts for him kind of thing. But he was Maybe. in there with him. So yeah. that'd be cool. Uh, yep. And another thing in the news here is Moon Knight uh, starring Oscar Isaac just released oh, on Disney+. Plus. Have you had a chance yeah, to watch it? I did. So you liked it. I love the freaking editing in this. Did you see it? Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. Oh, your face looks good. I don't know. You look oh, kind of. It was, it was all right. <laughs> it was good. I love you didn't. Lo- I love the editing. I loved the just the energy of like what is this character going through because it was so fast paced and like a bit like uh, jarring at times. But you got to really get immersed in you know um, his character of of what he was dealing with insomnia and all yeah. that stuff so i don't know i i really thoroughly enjoyed the first episode what i thought was funny is uh so this character he blacks out right and right. in the middle of a fight scene he'll block out multiple times and i'm just thinking what a nice way to make some budgetary cuts let's just have him black out here so we don't have to show the car exploding no. or whatever no but but they they didn't cheat you uh in that you actually still saw all the big things and uh the blackout sec the sections that were blacked out was just to really just create disorder orientation which they did a good job with i just wasn't a fan of the london scenes where they uh i I wasn't a fan of the accent i wasn't a fan of of the Mm. whole character of him working in like a gift shop inside of a museum um but uh and i'm also very confused i mean i i think i bought one moon knight comic back in the day but I i never even actually read it so i'm a little bit confused with this idea of two characters played by oscar isaac and two different versions of moon knight i think 
one is like the Egyptian god, and the other version is like wearing like a white suit or something. I, I'm just right. so. Are we watching four characters and what differentiates each of them? That's what I'm very unsure of. So uh, I'm definitely curious, though. I, I love to watch it. So yeah, I enjoyed it. Just was very confused. I, I will nitpick then uh, because you brought up something was the 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 voice. I'm not gonna go too much into detail, but I wasn't really a fan of the way the voice sounded that was in his head. Yeah, you know. It was a little bit like, um, I don't know, something I would hear from like World of Warcraft, like an ogre voice kind of. I don't know. It was just yeah. a weird choice to have, you know, that be his, the voice in his head kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I think it's an eight episode, six or eight episode arc. So uh, well, I very think it'd be interested six, to... I think. Yeah. Okay. All right, and the last bit of news I'd like to talk about. This just appeared on my radar. I saw a bunch of signs and stuff for a, a miniseries called Pachinko, which just released yeah. on Apple TV+. Plus. I had no idea what it was about. I did not know that this was based on a book, and uh, it's about four generations of a Korean-American family, starting from uh, you know um, Japan-occupied Korea. Or is it Korea? No, yeah. I was about to, th- I was, I was about to think. <laughs> Korea-occupied nope. Japan? No. <laughs> Japan-occupied Korea... Going all the way back to that point, and then it stars the uh, the Oscar winning actress from um, Minari. She's actually the lead in this, so very yeah. excited to check this out. I have not seen it yet. What are your thoughts on it? Have you seen any episodes or at least the trailer? And what do you think? Is this something you'll be watching? I I do want to watch it. I have not watched it yet. What was really funny that you say this because when I was seeing it on Apple TV Plus. Um, I looked at my wife and said, oh, I heard this was good. Do you want to see it? And she just immediately said, no. <laughs> I said, okay, I guess I'm going to have to watch it on my own. I have no idea why she just like immediately said no because I, I, I don't know. Like I, I don't know anything about it yet, And but obviously from what you said right now. But um, yeah, seeing uh, the Oscar, um, uh, I forgot her name. I'm so sorry. But yeah, I think it's Yunye Jung, I think. Yeah. Yunye, yeah. I mean, seeing her on there, I thought this looks you know this looks great i think i want to see it i want to support it i want to be able to uh see what's it about so pachinko too it's it's a isn't it it's a, a japanese gambling? term it's i think i think it might be the, but with it's the balls a, with a lot yeah. of the balls that they gamble with yeah so yeah it's definitely a japanese term not not a korean term so you know that's a provocative title to Got name it. a novel about a korean family uh you know a japanese term that's very interesting okay. so i can't wait to see what happens here same same yeah all right, so I, we will be watching that and bringing you our thoughts on that. But uh, as of now, we're going to go ahead and get into our movie reviews. So, Will, you and I will be reviewing Licorice Pizza. Here's a look at the trailer. It's a god-awful small affair To the girl with the mousy hair I met the girl on the Mary one day. But her mommy is yelling no Listen, young lady. But her friend is nowhere to be seen. So how'd you become such a hot shot actor? I'm a showman. That's what I'm meant to do. To the seat with the clearest view. And she's hooked to the silver screen. Do you know who I am? Yeah. Do you know uh, who my girlfriend is? Barbara Streisand? Barbara Streisand. Sand. Sand, yeah, like sands. Like the ocean, like beaches. Barbara Streisand? No, like Streisand. Sand. This is fate that brought us together. She's lived it ten times or more. Our roads took us here. She could spit in the eyes of fools. You're not my director. They ask her to focus. Do you really want to see my boobs? 
Can I touch them? See you tomorrow. That was a look at the trailer. Licorice Pizza is a story of Alana Kane, played by an actress named Alana Haim, who I believe is a singer in a music group. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gary Valentine, played by the son of Philip Seymour Hoffman. A very interesting Mind casting there. blown. Yeah, Cooper Hoffman is his name. He's great in, a, in the movie, by the way. Anyway, this uh, movie is about those two growing up and running around and going through the treacherous navigation of first love in the San Fernando Valley in 1973. That is a mouthful. So... Well, oh, I, PTA. PTA. Oh, Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> I started watching this. I tried finishing it multiple times. I eventually did not get around to watching it until you and I are on a, were on a flight back from London. And then we decided just to watch this together. Um, so I rewatched the first half and then went ahead and finished this movie. And my first impression of this movie was not very good. I had no idea what was happening, why there was not a plot. Uh, I thought the whole love uh, interest, you know, the the romantic situation between basically what a 15, 16 year old kid and a 25 year old woman was really odd. And I also thought this movie was just basically racist because there are these scenes where this this old white guy is just basically making fun of a, a Japanese woman's accent, even though she doesn't even speak English. And apparently he's married to her, but he doesn't speak her language and she doesn't speak his language. And they just kind of made fun of the whole thing. So I was actually deeply offended by this movie hoping it would get better. But you said something on the plane ride, which made me think, oh, okay, this movie actually kind of makes sense. If Only if you look at it from this perspective. So what was that perspective that you told me about? It's So the perspective of when I was watching the film and uh, funny enough, looking at your face every time at a... a from the film itself you're just looking at me so weird like what is this film what the heck is this you know and what just hit me was oh like this is the 70s and it just really seemed like an amalgamation of his mem like like random memoirs just the uh, recollection of paul thomas's life of what he really uh, what he uh, went through during the 70s but kind of like just putting in this love story between these kids maybe there's also a correlation to how it how love and flirtation and dating was handled in the 70s though too but it was basically a like a whole nostalgia of the 70s of everything that you can think of that went down during the 70s and whatnot you know you have richard nixon you have the the hippies coming in you have <laughs> you have waterbeds you know all these little tr- like things that came to play i thought oh, okay this is just more of a like for his like a like a his passion of of him growing up in the San Fernando Valley in the seventies. That's literally what it was. It was a pastiche of all that stuff, and from his perspective, from his from what what he experienced. So yeah. So when you explained that to me, I realized okay, that's an interesting way of looking at it. So maybe they weren't necessarily trying to be racist, but they were implying how racist the seventies were. Which is like, okay. Um, I, I, I still was confused, that. though. I was still confused with the execution of how he decided to express that scene with, with the, the husband and the Japanese wife. Like, the moment like he started to tra- quote-unquote translate, but it was just broken English and, like, a very highly offensive, like, Japanese, you know, way of, like, of, of English, broken English, I, I was taken back. I was like... This this was like harsh. I was like, I did not think that they was gonna do something like this, and I thought it was gonna end that at that moment, but it didn't. And I was like, okay, I don't understand this scene. I don't understand why you had to go through this direction of it. And yeah, it definitely hit a nerve. So yeah, I, I get, so I feel you. 
So Cooper Hoffman plays Gary, and apparently he runs his own company that his mom works for him, and they do publicity for different restaurants in the area. Just yeah. one of many uh, of the, uh, I guess you could say, uh, ventures that he has in terms of business. And basically, uh, they go ahead and have a meeting with a Japanese restaurant, and uh, it's owned by, uh, like we talked about, a Caucasian man and his Japanese wife. And yeah, basically... The scene doesn't make sense, and the backstory I gave you probably doesn't make much sense. And to be honest, this movie doesn't really make much sense. <laughs> and uh, I think it's, like you said, it's not supposed to. It's like a mood board. It's like a Pinterest board or like a mm-hmm. Jackson Pollock painting where someone just throws paint on a wall. And after a while, it's kind of kind of cool to look at and kind of artistic. I will say, though, that by the end of the movie, I was like, okay... You, you kind of tugged on my heartstrings a little bit. There were some funny moments. There were some exciting moments where, you know, the van they were riding in runs out of gas and they basically have to maneuver the car in reverse going downhill to get to a certain location. Stuff like that was cool. Um, but yeah, I really wasn't a fan of this movie. It just seems as though, the, uh, in this case, Paul Thomas Anderson, and I love him to death, he's made some of the greatest movies I've seen in the last, like, 10, 15 years. But I, it almost feels like he was getting drunk on his own Kool-Aid, and so are all of the critics. Mm. But like, in my opinion, you have to make a movie with a plot, and you have to make it understandable. Um, I, I guess most people would say, why does it have to be that? And I guess, you know, that's your opinion of what a movie needs to be. I have my opinion of what a movie needs to be in terms of my opinion. This doesn't give me all the things I'm looking for. At the same time, it wasn't completely unenjoyable, so... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was fun. Uh, I think this film, though, was more fun. for him. Well, yeah. I, I think I think this film was made by him for him kind of thing. Yeah. It's it's like, uh, for, for a lack of a better analogy, uh, you know, Sucker Punch. Uh, uh, who was it? Rod- it was, no, was, it, was it Rodriguez that directed that? Or who was it that? Um, uh, oh, Sucker Punch. That was Zack Schneider. Yeah. Zack Schneider, right? But that was his passion film that was his baby even though like it was it was okay but he didn't really make it for us necessarily he he did it because he had he wanted to create this concept that he's had for so many years whatever and i feel like with this one paul um this was just his own you know passion project that he wanted to do and and uh and he's pta they'll they'll let him make whatever he wants to make because he's pta right yeah he's proven himself and yeah, why not, right? It's 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 a it's it's Scorsese's, you know, <laughs> for three hour. <laughs> yeah, but Scorsese still makes plot driven movies, you know. He, he, the well, Irishman, saying, well, yeah, was yeah, yeah, the Irishman. Movie. It was, but I'm saying that, like, regardless of that, it was made for them. Like, they didn't like what whatever structure you have. Like, even if it's too long, or if it does have no structure, or if it was just a little over the top, it, it yeah, it's like I don't think they really. I don't know that if they really care too much about what our thoughts were. <laughs> yeah. Here's a little uh here's a little trivia nugget. Sasha Spielberg was also in this movie, daughter of Steven Spielberg. She was mm. one of the waitress in the Japanese restaurant that uh, Alana Haim speaks to, talking about she was the one that mentioned how she gives uh, a Gary handjobs. Do you remember, do you remember that scene? Yeah. Yeah. That that's yeah. Steven Spielberg's daughter. Yeah. Awkward. Yeah. Interesting. Awkward. Awkward, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Aka, anyway, Aka. I, I don't have much to say 
to be honest, no, I don't have much more to say about this movie just because yeah. it is what it is. There's really not much to critique. It, it's a technically well-made film with beautiful lighting. A lot of great actors show up and they offer some chuckles and some giggles here and there. And then the movie ends all of a sudden and it's like, okay, that was watchable, but I don't know what it was about. Um, so with that being said, I wanted to ask you, what is your final review of this movie? Um, I, I give it I give it a 2.5. Ouch. <laughs> I mean, it's a 2.5 only because I am with you. Like, it's, it's a rare occasion where I can watch a film that has no plot-driven narrative. You know, rarely, like, will I find something a bit more artistic in that sense. But this one had so many so much of a foundation where it should have been more plot driven. It jumped around a lot. You know what I mean? About just the mundane, well, maybe, yeah, uh, just two teenage, well, one adult, one teenager, just going back and forth with what is love and trying to figure out their life. But it, it, it was just a cobweb of, you know, we're going from one scene to another scene to like just, just random situations. I just don't really care about the 70s maybe that much. I don't know. It was just not, yeah, it wasn't really my cup of tea. Yeah, I give this movie three stars um, for all of my issues with the movie. It was still an enjoyable film. Uh, to be honest, it's the worst PTA film I've ever seen because it just seems so just self-indulgent. Um, but apparently other people don't think so. It got a Best Director nomination, Best Picture nomination. Um, is this worth checking out? I would tell the large uh, majority of movie-going audiences, Streaming. no. Don't watch it. It's oh. it's not worth it. But if you love PTA and if you love artsy movies where they like there doesn't have to be a plot and uh, you you'll need a pr- specific perspective in which to watch the movie, check it out. It, it's 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 two hours. You might want the two hours back, but it's still interesting <laughs> and fun. Su- so I'm surprised yeah. you gave it a three. Wow, you're no the the, pers- the end was unexpectedly moving for me to be quite okay. honest with you. So it's yeah. oh, okay. Gave you that. 0.5 extra i see yeah yeah <laughs> all right that is our review of the film licorice pizza it is available to stream now and i think it might still be in theaters as well it was nominated for academy award if you're curious please do check it out we will go on a short break and come back uh, with a review of the film drive my car and i will be going over that with the cat stay tuned <laughs> つまりです。僕たちは確かに僕が一番恐れていたのは音を失うことだった。今回は私たちの決まりでドライバーを用意します。というと彼女です。渡利美咲です。僕はまだドライバーを君に頼むことに all right, we are back. You just heard the uh, trailer for Drive My Car, uh, a movie that just won Best Foreign Language Film at the previous uh, Oscars, which took place a couple of weeks ago. And uh, joining us for uh, for a review of this movie is Kat. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me for this one. I'm really excited to talk to you about it. <laughs> are, are you, though? Are you, though? Because like, I, I, I feel a little bad because I basically said, Kat, let's, let's do this. And, and you say, okay, I'll watch that. It's a three-hour movie. It, sh- it should be good, right? Like, it got you know nominated for Best Picture. So uh, you watched this movie before I did. Um, to fill our listeners in, this movie is about a, rena- a renowned stage actor and director. Uh, he learns to cope with his wife's unexpected passing when he receives an offer to direct a production of Uncle Vanya, 
which I never really knew was a play, but apparently it is a play. And uh, yeah, that this takes place in Hiroshima. And so, like like we said, it was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film and won, and it was nominated for Best Picture, um, and it did not win in that category, but I was super excited to watch it. Trailer looked interesting, and, uh, you know, I convinced you to go ahead and watch it, so uh, what were your initial, I would say, overall thoughts about this movie? Okay, I guess I can compare this experience to hearing rumors of uh, a really nice restaurant opening up in town and none of your friends have been there yet, but you hear the critics just rave about it. And then it gets like the Michelin star and you're like, I have to go. So you prepare yourself and you know, it's going to be an experience. It's going to be a long one yeah, because yeah. you just know they're going to serve you something phenomenal. And so you sit down and you just wait for the chef to start bring, serving you this del- delicious meal. But it and takes it start- a while. <laughs> and it starts out as, let's say, a simple miso soup. Then that gets piled on with some caviar and steak and a hamburger and some lettuce. And everything they can find in the kitchen, they just pile it on and pile it on. And you're just sitting there thinking, am I actually consuming all of this? Can they actually be serious? And the chef is smiling and all of the critics are raving. And you're just walking away thinking, am I insane? So to simply break it down in the terms of this film. (laughs) Yes, break it down for us. This is what we have on our beautiful platter. Mm -hmm. We have Murakami, but not Mm -hmm. just one story three short stories that were piled into the plot of this film and we'll get to them if you'd like okay we have uh uncle vanya which is a very important russian play uh-huh. we have a middle eastern 1000 nights tale with Shahrazad. and then the things keep on coming up and coming up and we have this wife who is possessed with writing her stories after intense sexual acts. We have a dead daughter in this family and then the sudden death of the wife. We have infidelity. We have a glaucoma. We have a landslide, a dead mother who was abusive and had multiple personalities um which comes have... in way at the end by the way and by the way i like how you just shoehorn glaucoma into there as if it's at the same level of everything else but anyway continue sorry to interrupt Please. we have a woman driver in japanese culture which um everyone refers to for some reason in third person even when she's in the room the so driver. she's kind of just there um We have an intense car accident with two actors who are performing in the play. Remember? Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. And that just gets um, glazed over. over. Yep. We have one of our main characters uh, getting physical with a fan and then killing them. So we have a murder in in this story. (laughs) We have an actress who is also deaf, right? And who has a miscarriage. So we have that. Uh, We have all seasons in this film. And except for spring, I think. I don't think we saw spring, but we saw summer. We saw a beautiful fall and then a winter. 
we have all kinds of childhood traumas, grief, depression, natural disasters, death on death on death. And then it all kind of ends with some dog and man yeah. friendship. Yeah. Am I missing anything? No, I think you covered it all, I would say. But, you know, sometimes I like my nachos loaded. I, I like the guac and the sour cream and the meat, but yeah. Okay, but it wasn't just, not, it wasn't just nachos. It was everything <laughs> in the kitchen and the sink all put together. And like okay. I said, the plot was inspired by Murakami, but by three short stories mm -hmm. from um, a book that's called From Men Without Women. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a collection of short stories. And I think the reason why they were kept as separate short stories is because they're not supposed to all live yeah. in one with additions of all of these other things. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you want, we can break it down and yeah. see where we get. Okay, so you just summarized the entire film and how everything was in it. And so I, I, from what I gather, not just from what I gather, but what I know is, is you got a lot more out of it. You, it seems like you understood what influenced this movie a lot more than I did. I just kind of went into it without really figuring out, like, first off, I would never heard of Uncle Vanya before, but it sounds like you've heard of it before. Yeah. Um, I hadn't. I never read any of these other short stories other than that little like thing at the beginning where it said, you know, influenced by, and there was like men without women, but I just went into it just, I, without really having any assumptions. And uh, I, I think that's, that might be why I, I enjoyed the movie a little more, but all this to say after your, your uh, summary, your very detailed summary, did you didn't like the movie because it tried to do too much. Is that what you're saying? Here's the thing. Mm -hmm. I knew some bits going in. I knew about Uncle Vanya. I knew a lot of the references also going in um, that Shahrazad's um, story is right on the nose um, with uh, the, our main actress um, who is um, Otto, right? Mm -hmm. um, she just concocts these stories um, after having sex with her husband. Mm -hmm. And I think we should go into this with spoiler warning because we will discuss a lot, yeah. right? Yeah. It's impossible not to talk about, to discuss this movie and not spoil it. Mm -hmm. So Otto has sex with her husband and comes up with these elaborate stories. And that's very like on the nose from 1000 Nights, but also Murakami in uh, the short stories book that you just mentioned from um, of men without women, mm -hmm. there is a Scheherazade story. And that kind of is one of the main influences for this plot point, except mm -hmm. in the book, um, it's a nurse taking care of a man who can't leave his home and she ends up having sex with him and then telling him these stories. And that's one of the plots of the film. However, it's only just one short story in the book. Yeah. But I did, I had to do a deep dive into all of this to really break down what it is I consumed because watching it continuously for three hours, I couldn't, I couldn't, I had to take a break. I had to step away because my, I guess, primitive brain can't process that much at the same time, it's just too many themes put into one. So after watching it, I had to kind of compartmentalize every single thing to make it digestible to myself. 
Okay, well, let me tell you what I thought about this movie overall, and then we'll go like section by section. Let's do first, it. First off, I agree with you. This movie was an exhausting watch. It's because, I mean, not only are you is a three-hour movie exhausting in itself, you're reading for three hours, right? And uh, there are sections of, of the movie, you know, like uh, our, our lead character is Otto's husband, um, whom you're referring to. Otto, of course, passes away, and Otto now has to kind of pick up the pieces of his life and direct a play of Uncle Vanya in, in Hiroshima. He basically has this cast, and he purposely made them... Uh, he hand-selected people that couldn't really communicate with each other. There were Korean people. There were deaf people. There were people that were speaking in Chinese dialects and, of course, Japanese people. It's extremely confusing because, um, you know, when I hear Korean, a part of me is like, oh, Korean. And then someone is responding to them in Japanese, and then someone else is responding to them in sign language. I'm just like, what, what, what is happening? So it is exhausting. Um, I, after having seen this movie, I feel like the best way to watch this movie is either in like 15 minute segments where you can totally focus, or if you have to pay money and you put just three hours aside and the lights are off and you're in a the theater and you just have to sit there and just get through it. I think those are the two best ways to watch it. But all that being said, this is an exhausting watch, but I thought it was a beautiful movie in that the strengths that it had were really strong and some of the blaring weaknesses were, were pretty bad. But what I thought the strengths were is that uh, it asks a lot of questions and parallels a lot of the subject matter, you know, the stories that are being told, you know, sections of the play kind of loosely relate to stuff that's happening in the plot, but isn't so directly related. So it feels as though basically we're trying to understand what these characters are thinking and feeling and, um, that information, which they don't reveal, you know, externally is being given to us by, you know, what's happening like on stage or what's being read in rehearsals, uh, you know, for, for Uncle Vanya. So that was a really interesting way uh, to, to take it. I thought that, yeah, the movie was at its strongest when it's asking those questions, the big questions about life, about love, about what it means to let go of control, what it means to think you love someone and to find out that there's someone different. And these are like deeply beautiful, profound questions that I feel like it asks. But where I felt like the movie suffered was when it tries to answer some of those questions, then it's like a house of cards. It just falls apart. Um, little scenes that, you know, anytime they try to give you any kind of backstory about a character, I felt like it ruined the movie. <laughs> you know, it's like that scene you're talking about. So, you know, um, you know, we come to know that uh, our main character, who is the director, he's assigned a driver because of some liability issue, uh, because a former director of a play hit someone and killed someone with a car. But that's like, what? It's just kind of out of nowhere. Uh, we hear the backstory of the driver. We get more backstory of, of our director, who's our lead character. All this is happening. Anytime someone starts talking, exposition is dumped on you in the form of dialogue, and it kind of ruins the whole... Uh, theme of the movie which is just asking questions without getting answers and once you're given any answers the movie just you know it suffers for sure but that's what i thought uh strong strong strengths <laughs> is probably a better way of saying that and also a few weaknesses in there does any of this I, resonate with you or are you absolutely like, yeah. everything you're saying is so spot on i would also have to say it is confusing when you're trying to get the parallels from 
a play that is being put on, which is Uncle Vanya, like you said. And then also the stories that Otto is telling her husband, you know, because those are also parallels to current events that are happening. And you're just, but nothing is a hundred percent or like not even close to reality. Everything's just kind of loose. And I'm, you're not sure like what's really, like what's really accurate. Yeah. Not that I need the film to tell me what's really accurate. I've seen plenty of films with unreliable narrators, but this is just too much. It's just too much storytelling with heavy topics, with so many, um, just like, I can't think of the word, not um, just like, like so much symbolism that you now have to unpack and parallels that you can't really draw because you don't really know these characters well yet. And you don't get to know them until the very, very end. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. It kind of crumbles under the weight of what it wants to be, what it teases you that it is. But once it kind of starts to let you know what it's really like, uh, it starts to kind of fall, crumble under the weight of its own expectations. I think the questions that it asks, it shouldn't, provide any answers and I think that's where the movie suffered just a little bit yeah I think great movies that do that that make you think of those questions that this film tries to propose are films like Manchester by the Sea or Eternal Sunshine yeah you know those are those might as well as far as like relationships go and the questions that they ask you about relationships and what they are and grief and on and on um, that this film tries to ask us, I feel like, again, Manchester by the Sea and Eternal Sunshine um, of a Spotless Mind answer those in, in a shorter time. Yeah, yeah, much shorter. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel like there's a better version of this movie that's 30 minutes shorter, uh, maybe is told through flashbacks non-linearly where we're not seeing everything happen from beginning to end. And uh, that treats certain major plot points like when the star of the play murders someone when it actually kind of addresses it properly. And I feel like there's a really good version of this movie. Not to say this is a bad movie, but I don't think it was at least. But Three hours. I will never get yes. back. And I'm still confused. I mean, obviously, um, the bottom line is um, like we know all can understand the simplicity and the themes of this film that didn't have to be so heavy handed with all of this drama of, you know, their child dying, their, the wife dying, the mother dying and having multiple personalities on and on. Everything I listed off at the beginning mm-hmm. is just too much. Yeah. It's just too much. There was one riveting scene in this film that I really enjoyed, and, and we'll get to that later. But right now, let's kind of go moment by moment. Let's do it. Yeah, movie opens, and uh, it starts with uh, our main character, who is a director. Uh, he's in bed, and then uh, we see a silhouetted woman, a nude woman uh, next to him, and she's telling him a story. We come to know that that is his wife. It's What I found really interesting is how we first meet her. We don't see her face. She's just a shape, and she's backlit, and she's just a, like a dark figure. Um, really interesting that we come to know her at first by the story that she tells rather than seeing her face, which I think kind of sets the tone for the movie. I, I think that by doing so, for me, it made it feel like this movie in itself is a story, a short story. And maybe things weren't meant to be taken so literally, I guess. 
So for me, it set the tone properly. Um, eventually, we come to know that uh, you know the director, his wife named Otto, who uh, Kat was re- referring to earlier, she cheats on him um, with an actor. Uh, his wife is a screenwriter, and so she you know obviously interacts with a lot of actors on the shows that she writes for. And uh, he was she was having an affair with with this actor character who, in some strange way, also is uh, very intrigued and very interested in our main character, the director, as well. Um, but when he finds out that she's cheating on him, he doesn't bring it up. He want, he would rather live in this facade of a world that he has where everything is okay. We start to see the complexities of the relationship and that maybe they do really truly love each other, but maybe not in the ways that we traditionally would think of. And then so 40 minutes later, <laughs> I, I kid you not, 40 minutes later, like Kat said earlier, um, his wife dies of a brain hemorrhage and the credits, the opening credits roll 40 minutes into the movie. So up until this point, like I want to ask you, did the movie get worse as it went along or were you just basically confused and disoriented the entire time with how much was being thrown at you? I think the pacing was so slow that I wanted it to pick up and I was almost ready for the first 40 minutes to be that kind of slow. And then I hoped it would somehow pick up in its storytelling, Mm -hmm. but it didn't. And um, you summed it up in under a minute. Why did (laughs) we have to watch it for 40? Yeah. I I think the movie could have started when he got to Hiroshima Hiroshima, and then uh, we could have gotten the backstory through flashbacks or through exposition. but yeah, just seeing all that stuff at the beginning, yeah, it, it was long. It, it was really long. Um, and then from that that point, uh, two years later, uh, we see him going to Hiroshima, and now he's been hired to direct a, a stage version of Uncle Vanya. This was a play that we saw him perform actually earlier in the film. Um, he uh, works quite a bit with a coordinator who is basically handling everything for him, and he's also assigned a driver, a mysterious woman that doesn't really say a lot, but is apparently a very good driver i guess <laughs> the whole thing is kind of weird you know like he compliments well, her saying say yeah that like she talks i mean we'll get to it as we go through the film she talks about how she's this good driver and she had to drive um learn to drive carefully so she wouldn't wake up her mother yeah. and yet when they're driving to her hometown later in the film the camera just bumps up and down <laughs> up and down i was like your mother would not have like slept through this yeah. i was thinking sometimes there's just potholes in the road and there's, not, there's nothing you can do about it I, you can be the best driver but yeah and it's like there's never traffic when she's driving it doesn't matter how good a drive anyway these are things i was thinking of during the incredibly long movie um so what I thought was actually pretty funny is uh, we we mentioned this coordinator character who is there to basically facilitate, um, you know, things for the director, make life easy for him. He gives him, uh, he assigns the driver, he assigns the house, and basically helps him direct uh, uh, the actors because some of them speak Korean, some of them speak Chinese, some of them speak English, some of them can't speak and, and they're deaf. But this supposedly like, um, like uh, what do you call it? Like a Swiss army knife of a character can speak Korean, <laughs> can speak English, and can also sign language. Okay, and I was thinking, okay, this guy is more of a plot device than an actual character. Eventually, they explain why he's able to speak all these things. It's because his wife, who is Korean and deaf, is, was one of the actors in, in, in the show. But anyway, um, moving the on. The poor from the, girl yeah. also um, 
not only is she deaf and the wife of this one of our main characters, she, she also, also had a miscarriage. Had a miscarriage. <laughs> and like wants to act in this play because she can't get back to dancing. Yeah. Because a part of her died inside and she can't yeah. dance. It's like the writers, uh, the directors, or whoever the creative people behind this movie, they were thinking that this character needs a backstory. I got it. Miscarriage. What's the one <laughs> thing we haven't written yet? Miscarriage. Dead child over here. Everyone, everyone gets a dead child. Everyone gets a dead, like traumatic, like a traumatic death of a family member in this film. Yeah. And then uh, slowly but surely, our director, uh, his relationship with his driver starts to grow, not sexually or romantically, but just one of uh, curiosity and, I guess, mutual uh, respect. Um, I have and- to say, um, we haven't mentioned that in the first part of the film before the credits mm-hmm. roll, we find out that our main character uh, loses a child. And yeah. this driver, uh, Misaki, who drives him around, she would have been his daughter's age. And I think that's part of the relationship is that he's almost kind of trying to have a second chance at this relationship with his daughter Daughter. who died, which ended happy times in his and his wife's marriage. Yeah. I didn't really realize that. And now that you mention it, it does make a lot of sense. It made me, because I was wondering, why does he care so much for this driver? He really has an interest in her life. And I, I think definitely that does explain it. Um, well, they're also both like an expressive people due to the unresolved tragedies that they both go th- go through. So maybe he sees some of himself in her because nowhere through the film do we see him express anything really i didn't Mm -hmm. even think he was very loving to otto and neither is she she has no emotions until she sees a dog really like that's when she gets up from the dinner table and goes to pet a dog so i think in that they kind of recognize each other and almost mirror each other and the fact that we'll find out later that she loses a parent and he lost a child i think that kind of binds them yeah yeah yeah, that's a good call out there, actually. Backing up a little bit, we did miss one Please. plot point, and that is the fact that uh, uh, the actor that our director's wife was having an affair with, our director cast him as the lead in the play that he's directing, the, you know, the lead character in Uncle Vanya. And so we're left wondering, um, really, like, why does he do this? Is he trying to connect with his wife somehow by connecting with him? Is he trying to find information? Is he just trying to screw with this guy, actually? And... Uh, that was interesting that that whole dynamic between the two and seeing how it uh, un- un- unraveled was really interesting. And that actually leads to my favorite scene in the movie. And that is when basically they were both riding in the car and they're just looking at each other and they're not blinking. And um, they're both talking about, you know, the same woman, right? Because it turns out that uh, this young actor was also in love with Otto. And of course, the director was in love with his wife. And so um, they are both sharing the same short story that um, the director thought was only between him and her, but she was also sharing it with him. And you know, the actor is like, well, no, there's more to this story than you know, because she told it to me. And then when she kind of continues with that story, or, uh, or when he continues with the story, and then he kind of looks at him and basically says, you know, um, maybe you should not judge your wife, but you should take a look at yourself. That was such a, an amazingly powerful, well-acted scene. 
um, my favorite scene in the movie. And it came at a time where I was really bored and actually thinking, damn it, I kind of want to just turn this off. That that pushed me through to the end. What, what did you think of that scene at least? I have to agree with you. I think that scene is probably one of my favorites because although it's pretty straightforward, it also begs a lot of questions mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. up until that point, even when they go out to a bar the first time, our lead character is not 100% sure that um, his wife was having uh, like the sexual relationship with this young actor. He knew she was unfaithful, but he wasn't sure. Like maybe it was him, maybe it wasn't because he only saw the guy from the back Mm -hmm. and he only assumed. But then the first time that they go out to a bar, um, our young actor, Koshi, I think his first was first name. He says that, no, I was just like platonically in love with her. So in that car, he pretty much confesses to um, having had an affair with her and confirming that she's had other um, affairs as well. Mm-hmm. And maybe the story that he was told also isn't the full one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Back, I was going to ask you, um, do you think um, the story she was telling is actually about herself? That's the thing. There are elements where I feel like she's telling, she's talking about herself. And some of it is in that story. I think some of that guilt is there. I think she's also alluding to like characteristics in our, our main character and in just certain plot points that are explored as well. Uh, that's where I feel like it's not meant for us to really say this is this or that's that. And that's kind of what, what, I, what I was saying earlier. It works best when it's just asking questions and making you think uh, without kind of giving us those answers. What did you think? Uh, it's again, it's hard for me to tell. I do see how she would put herself into those stories, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, she remembers them enough to pass them around. And I think she does think of herself as that fish, not fish. What was it called? Like lamprey or yeah, whatever. The, yeah, that parasitic fish. Yeah. Yeah, that she just kind of like leeches on and kind of sways and doesn't make big moves she's just there and which and then the the character that girl in her stories that thinks she was this leech whatever thing in her past life dies and she doesn't know why it's kind of like Otto's own death like we don't know why she died you Mm -hmm. know how did this happen so suddenly what was she doesn't even know the own purpose of her death. I do have to say it's interesting that she talks about how the little girl in her stories would um, take little tokens. And that is something from Uncle Vanya when one of the main characters in the play, Helena, she would take one of the other characters' uh, pencils as souvenir. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Just like, yeah. So that's a parallel from like her own story to the play. So that's what I mean. There's just like too much storytelling and you're not sure like what's real, what's not, what's loose because it's so just vague. Did you ever think at any point that that affair when he sees uh, his wife 
you know, being unfaithful in the mirror, that that didn't actually happen? And in you know, the second question, did you ever think the driver wasn't real? Did any of these thoughts ever cross your mind? No, I thought that him coming home and her not, like just coming home so quietly, like that no one would have heard, that was bizarre, but that's one of the many bizarre things in the story. I fully believe she was having affairs, yeah. multiple okay. affairs, because she does say, like, or he said, like they both know that once their daughter died the happiness in their marriage ended he is stone cold i don't even know how they were able to sustain a relationship and maybe it is because there was this balance that they had that she would write stories and he would be her partner but not loving and she wanted love that he wasn't able to give so she saw it sought it elsewhere mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe that could be it too. Cause like you don't hate her and you I believe she loves him, right? Yeah, um, there's no doubt different... she loved him. Yeah. yeah. But I think that tragedy of losing their like toddler child really scarred both of them because she couldn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And um her ability to write came back through active intimacy. Mm-hmm. But you can tell they're mm-hmm. not like a loving couple that we're used to seeing like Hollywood movies. Yeah. And I don't write that off as, oh, well, they're more reserved because it's a Japanese cultural thing. It's so obvious that they're both kind of dead inside, yeah. but there is. It's a marriage of convenience. They need one another and they appreciate each other, but is there love, you know, that. Yeah. I think there, there is, is love. But... Yeah. But it's a different kind of love. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to come back to life, she needed to feel intimacy and to feel like a woman and he wasn't giving it to her. Mm, and true. I think that's why um, she was seeking um, yeah. like quote unquote validation or attention or uh, a different kind of love from other men who mm. weren't him, but mm. he gave her the stability of life and they shared something together that no one else could relate yeah. to. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think it just goes to show this movie, for me, really deals with the complexities of love. Um, you know, especially like when you think you love a person, but that person isn't who you thought they were. And also, um, love sometimes changes. It sometimes matures. Sometimes it just becomes very unromantic. But that's not to say that two people still don't love one another. Uh, I like how it this movie explored some of that. But like I said, it always you know, worked out better when it wasn't trying to give you any answers to that. Um, Want to quickly go through the rest of this movie. Um, and you you already alluded to this, but um, the star of Uncle Vanya uh, that our director casts, uh, we see that he has just, he's a little bit of a hothead and doesn't like his photo being taken, but apparently that is supposed to set up the fact that he beats someone to death and murders him. <laughs> and then that just takes him out of the movie so that there is now an opening in the play so that our lead director can resume the role, resume the role of uncle Vanya, a role that he played earlier in the movie. And that is some sort of like cathartic experience for him. Tell me if you agree or not. It was just very odd how that scene was shot where he kind of disappeared, came back. He was out of breath, didn't really act like anything happened. And then all of a sudden he gets arrested with a police officer telling everyone on a microphone <laughs> that you, <laughs> yeah, right. we're charging you with murder. I'm like, what? And then he just disappears. Yeah, they, okay. they just take them out and then he's kind of on the yeah. news. 
that whole scene was so bizarre to me because it literally happens in a split second. They come out uh, to get in the car. Our uh, driver goes to what pay with the parking. And then he comes back. There's like no blood, nothing on his shirt. His hands are clean. He's just kind of like, oh, hey, I'm here. I'm back. And like, they just get into the car and drive off and like have that very profound, I guess, conversation. Mm -hmm. Like no change in his face. Like that's how casual that scene was. Yeah. Yeah, it's very really odd. odd. It's and he just really, really odd. Yeah, that that was something that was my, in my opinion, the biggest flaw of the movie, how that was handled and how he just kind of disappeared. It just didn't feel like it connected with the rest of the movie. It felt very tacked on and it didn't really accomplish anything either other than get rid of him to have that opening in the show for our lead character to, to reprise his role. But just felt very, very awkward. Um, anyway, and then they I, kind yeah. of imply he had like a romance fling with another co-star in the play and yeah. they both got in a car accident on the way yeah. to rehearsal. Yeah. Like what was the point of that? Of that. Yeah, exactly. Why? <laughs> Why did we need to see that? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it and didn't then... add anything to the story. It just made it more odd. That's true. Yeah. I, I don't really see what it added. Other than maybe establishing that since he was coming with his co-star, that he was a little bit just, uh, I don't know. He, he liked to get around. It maybe it's just what they were implying. They but didn't yeah, need to again, get in the car accident. No. Let's no. just say they did not. They could have been late for another reason. Yeah. That, like It's just bizarre. Yeah. All right. Uh, I guess let's, let's keep going. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, now he's given the choice. He needs to think it over. He's given two days to decide whether they're going to cancel the show or whether he's going to reprise the role, his role of Uncle Vanya. He decides uh, to go off with the driver and be like, I want to go visit your childhood home, which is a, a little odd, I guess you could say. And then once when she get... clearly told him there's no home, she's like, yeah. there's nothing to see. He's <laughs> like, a... no, let's go on a road yeah. trip anyway. Yeah. And then they like take a ferry that like there's a ferry involved yeah. and like lots of driving. It was just lots and lots of driving and lots of tunnels yeah. and snow. Yeah. Yeah, and then they, they get there, and it's basically, like you said, the house is a pile of rubble on the ground, and we come to learn that uh, the house collapsed on uh, the driver and her mother, and how the driver had a choice to maybe try to pull the mother out, uh, but didn't do so, so she feels like she's responsible for her mother's death. Then all of a sudden, exposition dump, like a Gatorade dump at the Super Bowl. Uh, basically, we learn that uh, the driver's mother had uh, uh, multiple personalities, and... Uh, yeah, it just felt very tacked on. I don't the, the go... mother was violent. She the reason why our driver became such a good driver is because her mother worked at like a nightclub an hour away and she would have to pick her mom up and drop her off at like ungodly hours of day and night when the mom would be tired and she would want to sleep in the car. So she had to become like a really good driver. Yeah. And then when the mother would have these like split personality episodes that's when her mom was the most loving and that character was our driver's like best friend and they could get along but when the mom would become herself again then she like hated her because she does I think she does say I hated her yeah she did and And she's like I murdered my mother like I let her die and he goes yeah I murdered my wife it's like not the same thing not <laughs> or the, maybe they say yeah. i killed yeah which um, i guess is a little bit different but the point is they both feel very responsible yeah. 
for uh, these deaths of yeah. their loved ones. Even though I don't think when when I said not the same thing, I, I meant that I felt like uh, the director definitely did not have a hand in his wife's death. And well, so- he did because remember in the morning yeah. she says, "Let's talk tonight," yeah. and he says. Okay. And then he does admit to staying out much, much later and admitting to knowing that if he had come home a little earlier, he would have been able to save her, but he didn't because he didn't want to have that conversation. So that guilt haunts him. Yeah. But he didn't know that what would happen, you know, and in the same way, maybe the driver just thinks it's her fault. Like we don't know how it happened, but they just still carry the guilt of what happened i don't I, i'm not sure i mean I, I don't know what happened in their you know respective lives but the wife had a what is it brain aneurysm yeah. is that what happened yeah. and then yeah. he had what was the point of him having glaucoma glaucoma yeah had glaucoma. Uh, I, th- I thought that would be the reason why he couldn't drive anymore because it was so degenerative that he would need to be driven but it doesn't come up again in the in the movie at all which is interesting it's just anyways let's keep yeah. going okay <laughs> Anyway, from here, um, you know, we like we said, we we learn more about their backstories, and then he decides to do the play, and then uh, the movie ends, and then uh, we have a little like epilogue or prologue. Is it epilogue when it comes at the end? Or I think it's pro- epilogue. epilogue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, no we, prologue we... doesn't matter. Correct yeah. us. Let us know. Yeah, We're... let us know. Rate, review, subscribe. <laughs> yeah, and if you hate. If you want to look, correct us, slide us, send us uh, a little DM, right? Yeah, yes. Anyway, um, and then later we see that uh, the driver is now in Korea with a dog driving um, the director's car, which makes me think, are they still, like, do they still, are they still friends? Um, is, is he dead? <laughs> Did he leave So I was able to unpack that. Okay, okay. What did you unpack? So throughout all of this, I just kept thinking how set in his ways our director is. And his car is, um, I guess, a symbol of not wanting to move forward and progress. Yeah. It's kind of like this control thing. Deck. Yeah. Yeah. He's he so like, stuck. He's so stuck. And he even giving up um, con- like his car to this driver or even letting his wife drive is a big deal to him. He does not want to part with this car that, and in a way doesn't want to move forward or progress. So I think when he gives the car to, to her, uh, it's us knowing that he was able to finally perform as Uncle Vanya in this play because in the beginning we see he doesn't perform very well yeah. and now he's actually able to perform um, in the play and is able to move forward and is able to go on and live his life. We're not sure how, but he does give up the car and is able to provide with that car to someone else to live their best life because that is what she does. Mm -hmm. I also think it's very interesting that, um, and I know we haven't talked about it yet, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. when he drives, he practices his lines to a tape, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. His wife's voice. Yeah. So I think with that also knowing that that was his only way to quote unquote communicate with Otto when he drives and hear her voice, even though they're not having dialogue, it was almost like they were still speaking to each other. The fact that he's able to give up this car um, 
is acknowledging that he's finally able to let her go and maybe yeah. this guilt of possibly contributing yeah. to her passing. But that's just my thought. Yeah. What maybe maybe he has another like tape player in his house or something that he just now listens to anyway. That that was just weird. I'm like, okay, like tape uh, tape deck really? Cuz that deck is that even still working in his car? Like how Yeah, cuz the car was so that? old. It was yeah. the car was like what like 15 years old or something yeah. and he yeah. wasn't able to adjust with the times and move forward and like yeah. make any big changes or take even risks even from talking to his wife to letting go of this car. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't want to call uh, attention to uh, an amazing scene at the end. Um, uh, like we mentioned before, you have all of these different characters that communicate differently. They're in this play now. And um, I don't know if it's the last scene in the play, but it's the last scene of, of the play in the film where, um, you know, uh, this Korean lady who can only sign is telling um, Uncle Vanya something beautiful and poetic it's dead silent and we're just seeing her hand motions and she's like consoling him and letting him know that things will be okay pretty much. I thought that was just an amazingly beautiful scene just to have it completely quiet and then it just fades to black. I almost wish the movie ended there and it, we didn't come back in and see the driver in the red sob, but yeah, that, it that's is fine. the last scene in the play. Okay. And um, I guess I'm not going to summarize the play. It's too complex but the the scene that you're referring to is a conversation mm -hmm. um that they have in the end because um i guess our lead character in the play and uncle vanya wanted to take morphine and commit suicide mm -hmm. and, and just die and um the girl tells him the time to rest will come endure your suffering and when you have to go, you'll go in peace and you'll have the time to rest. And that's how the play ends. And that is exactly how the film ends. It's just implying that our actors who um, are all of the characters actually, who are dealing with all of this trauma and tragedy that, you know, it would be so easy to, you know, just end their lives and let go, but they're all continue on living yeah. and working through, yeah. uh, through that. Yeah. 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 And I think that's beautiful. Uh, there's something really deeply moving about that. Uh, it's so weird how this movie is. I feel like it's slow paced and it's so methodical with how it moves along. It does it because it tries to be more real and it tries to, how uh, have us feel what they're feeling without cutting any corners at the same time. It's extremely like like a fable, like you know, with all these allegories and um, connections to like previous works, like you mentioned. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a little bit at odds with itself. Uh, I, I think we can we can say. But uh, with that being said, I wanted to ask you, what is your final review of the movie? Okay, one and a half. I'm giving it a Ooh. half because you and I had this conversation, and because. Um, of that wow. car scene. And I think maybe there were, I don't know. I truly believe that if you think this film is phenomenal, you must be really young or you haven't seen a lot of movies <laughs> who address these issues in a better way. And then that don't have to make things so dense and so complex and drag it out for three hours. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah, one, one and, and a half. half. Wow. And that half is only because I came in tonight 
sure I was just gonna say it's one star and that's me being generous but I think because you and I kind of unpacked and were able you know just to discuss it a little bit I'm giving it half of the star okay. uh what is your final rating I actually give it three and a half so it looks like we're disagreeing quite a bit uh I thought it was a deeply moving poetic movie uh that asks very big questions without um, giving us the answers to most of those questions, it works the best when it's asking the questions. Um, you know, ultimately it falls under the weight of those questions and some very awkward scenes, but that doesn't, at least for me, take away from the power of the film. Uh, I am still deeply thinking about some of the stuff that they talked about and how it relates to my relationships and how it relates to life in general. And so any movie that is able to properly asks those questions even though it might have other weaknesses to me is still a good film at the same time i agree with all of your points and everything that you said um i i just felt like its strengths i guess for me outweighed the the, the negatives but that's just me and there's i don't know for me there's so many negatives that i it's really hard for me to find any strengths like even some of like the camera choices or like the way the shots were like just compositions like it's just all lags it's just the yeah. fact that this took best foreign film and was nominated for best picture in the running against so many other great films like I'm not really yeah. sure what's happening. Like I really I'm wish confused. I am yeah. really confused. I really wish the last duel took that last spot for best picture uh, over over Drive My Car. I'm really sad that the last duel got no love. But and come on, yeah. come on, got no yeah. love. Yeah. Period. And that yeah. film poses much more yeah. deep questions, and it does leave you thinking about life in a bigger you know, scheme of things. And it's not that complicated. No, that's true. And it's also family drama, death, et cetera. We have it all. And then all of these life questions and it's, you know, what a beautiful film that was. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I like how you brought up a previous movie to, to praise right after we tore down this one. But uh, Oh, I can name yeah. so many. I just brought up like at least three films that I'm praising yeah. that are better. Yeah. And yeah you know, are just as, as, you know, sad and leave you thinking and pose these big questions and that are not three hours long and didn't have to have that much packed into them that you're just like, what else are you going to throw at me? I think the only thing this film was missing was probably like aliens or like superheroes. Other than that, <laughs> we got it all. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. All right. That was our episode for today. We will be back next week where we will be reviewing Ambulance and uh, something else. We'll figure out what that is. <laughs> but until then, I wanted to remind you all that it's not the destination, but the things you watch and experience along the way. So stay safe. Bye. Rate, review, subscribe. Boom. And if you have negative comments, keep them to yourself. Yeah, or send them. <laughs> you can DM it to the Film Drifters Instagram. John yes. will get back to you shortly. Yeah, or John will just not tell us and make us feel like we're great. Anyway. All right, everybody. Stay safe. See you soon. Bye.